Hello and welcome back to the Outring Tinnitus podcast. This is Frida and I'm your host and this is the latest podcast episode releasing after I am back from my month-long holiday slash uh, working absence um, in Colombia. Um, my wife is from Colombia so we spent some time with family and friends uh, and also spent a little bit of holidays there which was fantastic. So the first one and a half weeks I was completely on holiday and then I was just working from over there which turned out to be yeah quite nice but uh, I'm also happy to be back on my desk and be releasing this podcast episode today because there have been a lot of very very interesting developments in the tinnitus space. Um, without further ado I want to share with you that today we have a special guest her name is Laure Jacquemin and she is from Belgium and she is a um, practitioner in the space of tinnitus and it's a very very interesting conversation we had but before we before we get into the episode I want to share some very very exciting news with you um, there has been big developments for the tinnitus community in the United States um, the big news is that the company Lanier Neuromod, who are also sponsors of this podcast, have been able to get the FDA clearing clearance for their neuromodulation tinnitus treatment device. And if you guys haven't listened to the episode in which I interviewed the chief science officer from uh, Neuromod Lanier, Hubert Lim, a fantastic guy. Uh, we have two action-packed and super interesting episodes in which I talk to Hubert about the way how um, neuromodulation and the Neuromod uh, device uh, works, what Lanier as a company are doing and it's really really a fantastic and interesting interview which I think you are really going to enjoy. So check those two episodes out and if you have more questions um, as coming up in the ad you can go to www.lanier.com forward slash outring to learn more about Lanier and its latest clinical trials and research etc. But without further ado, I want to mention just that we are super happy to welcome you in our tinnitus community at www.mytinnitus.club. You can join the most positive tinnitus community and we're very much looking forward to have you there. But now please enjoy the episode with Laure Jacquemin from Belgium and I'll see you very soon. Hello and welcome to the Outring Tinnitus podcast. This is Frida and I'm your host. This podcast is all about the tinnitus science and what you can do to live a better life despite the ringing. This episode is brought to you by Linear, an evidence-based treatment for tinnitus which has been shown to improve tinnitus symptoms in large-scale clinical trials and real-world patients. Linear retrains the brain by playing soothing sounds and providing mild electrical stimulation to your tongue. It's now available throughout Europe and its latest clinical trial results were recently published in a Nature Scientific Journal. To find out more about Linear, where it's available and read about the research behind it, visit www.linear.com forward slash outring. That's L-E-N-I-R-E dot com forward slash outring. 
Well, then, hello and welcome back to the Outrank Tinnitus podcast. This is Frida, and I'm your host. And this podcast is all about um, a science-based approach to tinnitus, uh, some myth debunking around tinnitus, what can help you live your best life despite tinnitus. And today, I am very excited. I always am excited, but today, I am very excited to have uh, Laure Jacquemin from uh, Belgium here today with me. Um, she is a tinnitus specialist, and uh, yeah, I would like to welcome her to the show. Laura, welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself to our listenership. And Thank you for having me here. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm uh, Laura. I'm a clinical audiologist from Antwerp in Belgium. I have so a degree in speech pathology and audiology. And I did my PhD on tinnitus. So immediately after I graduated as an audiologist, I went into the tinnitus field. Uh, and at the moment, I'm a postdoc researcher. So I'm combining my clinical work in the clinic with postdoctoral research uh, and doing some science communication uh, on the side, as that is also a very important thing of what we do. We study a lot of things. We also need to bring it to the bigger audience. So happy yeah. to be here. Yeah. Awesome. Great. And um, maybe just uh, talk to us a little bit on which side of the tinnitus treatment and um, and research you are on. And then maybe uh, as a follow-up question, but I will ask you again, what uh, made you choose that particular field? <laughs> so it has been already a journey uh, in the last years. I started with electrical stimulation for tinnitus okay. as a research topic. Uh, when I started my PhD, there was a Big question okay there, there was already some research on electrical stimulation but how can we improve improve this after my phd i took a little bit of a different direction that research is still ongoing but i'm more focusing on the clinical part of it uh, and definitely also the comorbidity with hyperacusis so lately okay. i'm doing more research on the diagnosis and the treatment of hyperacusis and as I have a background also in cognitive behavioral therapy, that is something I'm also very interested in. Ah, lovely. Very, very cool. Thank you. I think there are a lot of grounds to cover in this interview today because especially um, people, I mean, this comorbidity is very common, right? Uh, tinnitus and, and hyperacusis. So a lot of people uh, listening to the podcast will say, yes, finally, uh, Frida is interviewing someone who knows a lot about hyperacusis. So I'm sure that we'll be getting um, into that topic uh, a little bit more. But um, again, the the, the follow-up question would have been, um, what made you choose tinnitus? Why tinnitus? How did you get into the tinnitus space? Well, it's a combination of two facts. Um, when I was studying audiology, my brother got tinnitus. And okay. I know my first response to that was that I was hearing a tinnitus as well. I started to focus wow. on it. I came in my, in my room and I was like, oh no, my brother has it and now I hear it too. There was no reason why I could have had tinnitus at that moment, wow. but it was just my focus that went uh, because of anxiety of getting it and right. searching for it. And right. Luckily, I had a great ENT at that moment that could reassure me that everything was normal and uh, yeah. it went away. Yeah. But it stuck with me because I'm an audiologist and I should know how to react to a perception of tinnitus. I should be able to help my brother with tinnitus. And unfortunately, in my education, tinnitus was a really small part of it so mm -hmm. I was left with not knowing what to do for tinnitus 
And then there was a second thing that was just luck. I went on an internship in the Netherlands in an audiological center where they did a lot of tinnitus retraining therapy for patients. Nice. And that's how I started to get intrigued and be like, there is something out of there. There is something we can do for them. And that's why I wanted to do it. Awesome. I really like that. And I, I think it's so interesting of how most people um, who get into tinnitus and tinnitus research also have very personal reasons. And I think that makes it so amazing and so honest and so pure that people actually like really devote their time. So um, yeah, thank you very much for choosing this. And I just want to emphasize on the fact that there are so many people out there. I mean, of course, there are always people in the world who, who only want to see the negativity and the negative aspects, but there are a lot of people and we can say, this because I am on episode uh, 45, 44 or something of this podcast. And I've interviewed so many people who really do primarily focus on tinnitus in their life and research. So it's not at all that people with tinnitus are left alone. There are so many people researching this. There are people devoting their entire professional careers and sometimes large chunks of their personal life as well. We all know that. Um, to uh, helping people or to helping advance the research on tinnitus. Um, tell us a little bit about your about your current work, your current focus, um, what what you're working on right now. Anything that you that you that you think is is, is worth sharing that you want to that you want to get into here? There is a lot, of course. A lot. Uh, that's... <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that's when you work in the clinic and your research. You're doing a lot yeah. of, at the same yeah. time. Um, right. That's... Right. Right. What, what stuck with me was mostly like, okay, on tinnitus conferences, we see, although it sometimes indeed doesn't look like it, a lot of research is being done on tinnitus. And yeah. there was always this one or two presentations on hyperacusis and that's it. And yeah. um, so I started digging into more to, into it, um, mainly thanks to David Bailey, who was a great researcher in the hyperacusis yeah. field. And I, I realized there is not much in the literature. There is really uncertainty on what's happening in the brain with hyperacusis. And there is also uncertainty on how to treat it. And so that's why I started doing some small projects. One of them is where we looked into recently into the fact if hyperacusis can also come from the neck and the jaw. So... As we know with tinnitus, there is some somatic factor to it. It yeah, can be influenced yeah. by neck and jaw complaints. Yeah. My question was, is that also true for tinnitus, uh, for hyperacusis, excuse me. Yeah. So I had a patient who uh, really experienced cheek complaints and a tense cheek and hyperacusis on that side. Uh, mm-hmm. And it got better through the combination of physiotherapy and CBT. Okay. So the research is still ongoing, but the first uh, study we did looked in either way it didn't show that there was nothing out there we thought there's not going to be any effect of what we do with the neck and the jaw on the hypercusis complaints right but there was in some patients there was an influence of the neck and the jaw on their hypercusis complaints interesting so i think that is really interesting for future uh, research yeah yeah I, I i guess you know if we i mean you are a hard-on researcher, but for me, who is someone a little less uh, uh, hard-on, hard-facts person, I would say, well, I've experienced so many things in these past years, things that 10, 15 years ago I would have never believed, but I start believing more and more it's all connected, and it is all connected. So, of course, 
when we are more tense in neck and back and grinding our teeth at night because of stress and we have to sort of pull ourselves together. And then uh, hyperacusis is something that we both know, and maybe you can get a little bit into it, is physiological and psychological, right? If I'm correct there. So of course, I would not dismiss the fact that, right? I mean, I'm doing it myself. I wear a a, a night guard for my mouth and uh, my wife when we eat crunchy Zoom. things I my jaw cracks that my wife thinks I'm like my my skull just cracks or something like that she gets she's like looking at me like whoa what what happened there and I was just my jaw <laughs> and I'm and I'm and I, I'm certainly someone that that happens too but you know I, I I would definitely say that it's amazing but what I like even more about it is that of course when we find these correlations out then of course in general we can also start to um, create more uh, patient and individual centered care initiatives where we say okay if the person has this comorbidity together with that thing uh, and uh, that symptom then maybe we have to treat it in this and this and that way um, conversely if someone maybe says I'm doing yoga every day and my neck and back are perfectly fine then maybe I have a different kind of way of treating hyperacusis and tinnitus right for that person yeah definitely I also believe in that there are some centers that do everything for the same kind of symptom yeah. uh, with every patient. And I don't believe yeah. in that because if you don't yeah. have neck and jaw complaints, yeah. you don't need physiotherapy. Uh, yeah. So indeed, uh, with, yeah. with hypercusis, it will be, uh, will yeah. be the, same, the same story. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's interesting to see that why I was wondering about it is, of course, treatment-wise, it's important because then they might need physiotherapy and might be beneficial. But otherwise, it also tells us a bit about the pathway that is followed in the brain, if there is a somatic influence, it has to um, cross a moment where there is a somatic influence possible in the brain pathway. So it's also learning us more on how hyperacusis is formed in the brain. Okay. Yeah. And yes. what, what have you found out so far? Because I think that is super interesting because I mean, I've just touched on it uh, like just briefly, but if, because you're the expert here and not me. So if you would uh, describe, uh, let, let's go into a definition of hyperacusis and then maybe look into a little bit of what's the composition of hyperacusis and how does it play out in the people and, and please coming from you because I just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The definition, that's something where, where I can easily say the answer. The pathophysiology is a more difficult one. So let's yeah. start with the definition. Yeah. So awesome. we call hyperacusis hyperacusis when people are oversensitive to daily sounds that they were not sensitive to in the past, for example, or that other people in the environment are not sensitive to. So. Um, if the people, the person was born with it, let's say, classically, we don't call it hyperacusis, it's another kind of oversensitivity. So hyperacusis is something that's really developed and it's specific for daily sounds. So it's not that they have, if they're fearful from one specific sound, we don't call that hyperacusis. It's really a broad spectrum of sounds that are overwhelming for those people. Mm -hmm. And... If we if we get into the mechanisms, I know it's a little bit tricky, but if you would, if if I would have to put you on the spot, what you believe, what uh, some of the mechanisms behind it could be, what what would what would be your answer? Even if we put a disclaimer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we researchers hate to to make a statement, right? I know, <laughs> but I, <know. laughs> but um, I think there are two 
possibilities and I think we should look at in twofold. There is the hearing related part. Uh, hyperacusis can be formed because if you hear less, your brain starts to overcompensate by being hyperactive. That's a similar process like with tinnitus. Yeah. Also yeah. there your brain gets hyperactive because of uh, missing some sounds. But with yeah. hyperacusis, it's thought to be the same way, only it's overactive through sounds that are really there and not to spontaneous activity uh, mm -hmm. like the tinnitus. So mm -hmm. that is the general hypothesis that is followed. There is hearing loss. Your brain gets oversensitive to the sounds mm -hmm. in the environment. Mm -hmm. However, of course, it gets very difficult to uh, apply that theory when someone has that perfect hearing. And that is definitely also with hyperacusis often the case that they have no signs of hearing loss and we can go into theories of maybe there is some damage somewhere uh, but I think there is also definitely a hypothesis where there is nothing auditory related there is no auditory problem in the ear itself that it's really a central process like you say it can be psychological in the sense that sounds get a certain attribute a certain emotion to it yeah and because yeah, of yeah. that your brain starts being hyperactive without right. any hearing loss being present right right um now you mentioned it already um i think that is quite quite important to 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 focus on because we always or i often have the um the answer from people well if tinnitus is caused in the majority of cases by uh, hearing loss, why does my ENT tell me I don't have a hearing loss? And the segue into how do we in a clinical environment say a person with hyperacusis doesn't have hearing loss if we maybe usually only evaluate frequencies who are important in our day-to-day -day living and maybe not the frequencies who are relevant also for hyperacusis and tinnitus development. Just for people to understand this, maybe you can explain this better what I mean by this because you are the researcher. I mean by this that when people tell me, but I don't have any hearing loss, what my doctor says to me, then I say to them, the doctor evaluates your hearing based on all the frequencies that you need in day-to-day -day living, not in what the capacity of the human ear can really perceive. Completely correct. I fully understand you that, but I will try to reformulate also in my Please. words. Thank you. <laughs> that, um, the hearing is very broad and indeed with a classical uh, audiometry, we'll, we'll test low and high frequencies, but there is a higher frequency region that is not tested. So first of all, yes, there can be hearing damage in those high frequencies. Um, some people don't have the question, yeah, that test my high frequencies, then I can see that. Uh, unfortunately, that's not very much, there are not a lot of norms for that. So we can test it, but we don't know what where the value should be. So that makes it mm. quite difficult to interpret. Mm. Otherwise, mm. an audiometry is still a threshold testing. Yeah, you don't true. test every hair cell separately. You don't right. test uh, how the sound is brought to your brain. So right. that is also very important. Um, yeah. And I think with tinnitus, it's important to know that body can, like I perceived at some point, suddenly a tinnitus sound, in my perspective, a lot of people probably have subconsciously a kind of tinnitus somewhere. Yeah. And it's just a matter of fact of situations happening that trigger that sound to come in your attention yeah. and then yeah. problem starts. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then probably, I mean, I worked at a startup for hearing technologies before, so uh, I'm I'm a little bit, we could geek out a lot here about, for example, uh, comparative threshold testing and looking at uh, uh, auditory discrimination, like, let's say, how well can you dis, uh, discern two different neighboring frequencies, which is that other kind of hearing loss, right, that people rarely talk about what we know we exist, you have a perfect uh, threshold hearing test, but in being able to discriminate neighboring frequencies against each other, maybe your sense of hearing is bad. So we talking about the cocktail party effect, right? Is that something you're also looking at? Yeah, so indeed, that's where you come to the fact of like, if you would, for example, do autoacoustic emissions, where you test yeah. your hair cell function, you come already closer to that. Yeah. Um, and indeed, you can do a lot of crazy testing. Like there's so much of yeah. your, that's, that's the interesting thing about audiology. You can test yeah. a lot and in different ways and all the aspects yeah. of hearing, because hearing yeah. is more complex than we think. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. then I also personally, from a clinical point of view, I'm like, if I have to do all this test to prove that someone can have a hearing damage, you will find a problem with everyone probably somewhere. And that's For also sure. my point. That's why everybody probably has some form of tinnitus because yeah. Yeah, the hearing pathway is so complex. It's very difficult to have a fully intact pathway. Yeah. Yeah. At least uh, when we're not um, very young adults or uh, uh, teenagers who never really had much noise exposure. Uh, and then you can also, this it, is very surprising, by the way, when I, uh, I go for a walk with my wife, there is a, a kind of a, 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 when we go through the nearby gardens here, we have like some lovely little gardens here close by, and they using like uh, scarecrow kind of sounds. And they must be so high that uh, no one we've ever been walking with can hear them. But my wife, every time we pass them, she's like, ah, and I'm like, what the heck? How can she still hear that? Right. And she's the one. So that's why we see already like there has to be some other factors than just uh, protecting yourself uh, from loud sounds, because I've been with my wife to uh, many concerts where I wear hearing protection and she doesn't. And her hearing is perfect. So we know that there must be a lot of other factors at play. Um, for example, uh, I used to smoke. We all know now by now that smoking is terrible for your hearing, um, and and uh, and 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 genetics, right? Genetics as well. So, you know, we 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 have all these different things, and we know that probably no one is perfect. But then, if we get into tinnitus and we adopt this problem, and we think something is seriously wrong with us because we perceive the sound suddenly then we kind of like get into this mechanism where it becomes a problem. And then when we have a comorbidity such as hyperacusis, suddenly it's that thing that takes over our lives. So how, from a clinical perspective, do you, do you go about working with people in that, um, in that circumstance? Yeah, I fully understand you. And I think a lot of patients have that as well. Like it's not fair uh, in the way of that they have treated their hearing very protectively and some other people don't, and they don't develop tinnitus and, uh, it, there it comes to play indeed what you say about genetics, about the people being more sensitive to develop hearing damage than other people. Yeah. And yeah. sadly, also a part of how you respond to a symptom like tinnitus and your personality. We see that that also will play a role. So indeed, like I think it's important to just see it as a whole. And patients often have the feeling like, okay, tinnitus, I have done something wrong to my hearing and I'm to blame. And I think yeah. that is often not the case. So yeah. I try to also, I think that is important to work on that, first of all, 
you have probably not do, did anything wrong and nobody's perfect and there is it's almost impossible to protect your hearing yeah 20%. yeah yeah that's the, the the big the big one right i'm saying like okay i mean yes you went to a bar or that club and a few or a concert mm -hmm. and a few days later your tennis started but look like if you're standing at a at a at an intersection somewhere and um you don't uh you don't realize that there's an ambulance coming next to you the ambulance starts stops next to you and puts on the horn then you're done like you can you can be done like that thing is 110 decibels that can blow your hearing right away for a few seconds and then two three days later your tinnitus is there right so I mean that that is something that can definitely happen to li literally everyone. So there's no use in, in in trying to say like, okay, well this is me and I'm to blame, and that is just creating that cycle of anxiety and that and that that sort of like that exclusive focus on that thing that you're now hearing and perceiving. Apart from saying like, okay, well it's about like every fifth person is having exactly the same problem. So. And I, I have this nice anecdote, and I would like to hear what you what you think about it. I've I've heard the story from from someone. Um, that for example construction workers often also have tinnitus right so and 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 for them it's much more easy to just disregard it right so we, let's 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 assume that the young guy who works on a construction um one day um comes to the to the older guys and says like ah last night i couldn't really sleep so well because there was this thing in my ear and then the older guys they come there and they pat him on the shoulder and it's like boy, I've had that for 40 years. And the next guy goes laughing. He's like, yeah, me too. Don't worry about it. And then next guy, the guy goes to sleep and just doesn't care about it anymore. Right. So kind of that relational thingy of how that person came to relate to tinnitus determines whether he's going to be suffering from tinnitus or merely experiencing it, dismissing it. And therefore, it's never really at the foreground of his consciousness. Right. Yeah, what, what it's, do you think it's how that? we perceive how we perceive what tinnitus is, right? And that is formed by experiences from other people mostly. So you you can have had experience that you had a friend that went crazy from tinnitus, and then from the moment you have it, your reaction will be fully different than indeed uh, the construction worker you talked about. So in my perspective, and it is a difficult one, but in the media we also have an important role there to play because we constantly say you're hearing why is you get, getting tinnitus and you don't want that but that results in the fact that people get yeah. tinnitus they're like yeah, yeah. this is what yeah. i should have avoided always yeah. so yeah. 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 yeah 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 difficult balance there yeah yeah and then you're getting into this avoidance-based behavior if you're unlucky triggering then hyperacusis because then the next time you go out you wear your earplugs and then suddenly I've, I've worked with someone last year in the end I think um, she started working with a, a, a very very good professional from the UK for hyperacusis forgot her name now but um, but uh, she she was she her hyperacusis was so bad that she basically couldn't stand the fan on her computer and when her neighbor was moaning the lawn in front, like she basically went to the basement to spend the time that the neighbor, although all the doors and windows, everything was closed. But when he started to mow the lawn and the house next to her, she started going to the basement and putting uh, earplugs in because she couldn't perceive that. So I was like, it's amazing what, I mean, of course, very terrible for her, right? So I, um, that in the end, of course, she needed to have a proper hyperacusis specialist because that's not something that I can tackle as a coach. But, you know, I, I was amazed by the fact of the, the the range of human conditioning and the outcome that that can actually produce that someone is getting ha have pretty much perfect hearing, but goes crazy of the experiencing the fan of her computer. I'm just like, wow, that's amazing.
Wow. Yeah, how we can get our own system so oversensitive by yeah. protecting it too much. And yeah. I always explain to patients, there's always this going to be this area, area of sounds that you cannot tolerate. But if you start protecting you for those sounds, then other sounds are going to become intolerant. So we have to learn to cope with the intolerance feeling in start of running instead of running away from it. Yeah, I'm having my own personal, I, I told you about the hearing, uh, the training uh, hearing aid that I'm using right now. And I've been using certain brands. I don't want to say the brand's name now, because otherwise I'm going to get legal letters onto my desk. But basically, um, I, I went to a, a an audiologist um, and they are very, very good uh, trained audiologists here. They did a study with Charité recently on what the right kind of hearing aid fitting can really do for tinnitus training. They're called Tinnitus Care. They're here in Berlin as well. They're based on the Terzo Institute here in Germany and they've had uh, very very well uh, done studies basically on the assumption that if you do present the whole range of frequencies even those that natural hearing aid manufacturers would say let's not present them because the person will just be uncomfortable um, and you present them again then of course at the start and this is what happens to me right now at the start for me driving away from them when they had the fittings they said everything's fine don't worry of course for me that's difficult to believe because I'm deaf on one ear I don't want anything to happen to the other ear so when I first put this hearing aid in and I just sat down in my car and I put the seat belt in and this click was so loud I was like whoa but you know, so that's like maybe not so much hyperacusis, but that is actually the sound sensitivity that comes from the fact that I have basically not given my brain enough input for the past 12 years. And another funny thing that when I changed hearing aids two years back from a very old hearing aid to an old setting to a newer one with Bluetooth and everything, and then there was only one other device that I thought sounded normal. And now these audiologists, they told me, it doesn't sound normal. It was just equally bad than the old one because they didn't really focus on these frequencies because those frequencies made it sound like a tin can that you didn't like because you weren't used to it anymore. Therefore, you preferred this brand of hearing aid. And now, well, sorry for that long monologue, but now I have to really get back into perceiving these uh, old frequencies, uh, doing hearing training every day. And uh, basically working a little bit with them together to maybe do some social media and uh, to spread some awareness here in Germany. They, they really do an amazing job. So if people are in Germany, they can check them out. Um, they're at the university here in Charité. They're also doing projects with the University of Jena. Um, and it's uh, really cool. But uh, yeah, it's a, a little bit painful for me at the start. <laughs> and that's what hyperacusis patients also go through if they go through our treatments. They have to start exposing themselves and gradually. We don't indeed put them with all the hearing, with all hearing all the sounds they hated or they are afraid of. But it is a training program and you have step by step to get uh, your tolerance back up. But luckily it's possible and that is really nice. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I wanted to ask you, because I think um, most of the people who are listening to this podcast will be super um, amped to hear this and very excited. What is your personal favorite? I mean, there's all these kind of different things out there, like frequency therapeutics. There is a neuromodel near device. There is Dr. Susan Shore. She's releasing her thingy now. Then there are ah, bracelets that are supposed to vibrate in certain environments. So you focus on other sounds or um, you do sound therapy and buy extremely expensive hearing aid-like kind of devices for uh, many thousands of euros or dollars in order to help you uh, with uh, retraining yourself into being less anxious around your tinnitus. Well, frankly, if we're very honest, if you don't have that kind of hearing loss, you could simply use a pair of AirPods. 
but uh, yeah, what's your personal what's your personal approach? What's your personal opinion? Uh, would be nice. I mean, of course, you don't have to say anything specifically about the thing, but maybe a treatment assumption. What you think um, we might see more of in future, and what you think might be promising from your researcher kind of perspective. Yeah, uh, I, I was scared you were going to ask me a favor of all the things you summed up, which is very really difficult because it's choosing between yeah. a lot of bad options. Sadly, one hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So, <laughs> no worries. Uh, you, you I, I don't want to put you. I, I don't want to put you on the spot here. So if you if you wanna if you wanna take a few seconds to think about uh, what uh, how to how to frame this in the way that that is that is best uh, or or most making sense for yourself. No, no, I'm perfectly fine with answering it. I, I did my PhD four years on uh, yeah. electrical yeah. stimulation, so I, I yeah. definitely yeah. have some experience with it. Uh, what yes. we did uh, was transcranial direct current stimulation uh, mm -hmm. in high definition, so with small electrodes. It's difficult to say where it will go because sadly also our research has showed that actually all the great results that have been published before, they're not that great at all from our studies. Sadly, we don't see such huge effects. Uh, so right. that was, of course, sad because we just wanted to re replicate some stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we uh, compare it with placebo, there is just a big placebo effect going on, sadly. Mm -hmm. So in interpreting all this great experimental research, yeah, the placebo effect is crucial uh, to take into account. And that makes it also difficult to choose now in which way should we go? Because there is mm. there is not a great starting point because some mm. research has not been so well, um, including mm. also some studies I did. Afterwards, if you look back at it, you're super critical and you're like, you, we should have included this or this comparison. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's good that we're experimenting. Let's 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 say that because we don't want to stand still. So also we uh, are trying to follow a more up on this uh, high definition TDCS and how can we improve it? Mm. But I don't know where it's gonna get. I think it's just important when we're experimenting with different mm. uh, stuff to do it low cost, as low cost as possible, because there's no point of asking money for something we don't know it works yet. Yeah, uh, sure. Because also the if you pay a lot, that's a huge placebo effect on its own. So that's not great for research. Yeah. And also to be just honest to the patient about it uh, and about yeah. that we're, we're just yeah. looking what's, what's going to work. Um, but at this moment, it's difficult to say. And yeah. let's start to experiment with the non-invasive ones. Patients ask me also about invasive uh, operations and implanting electrodes. Well, let's see like if we are still in an experimental phase, I think we should be careful and experiment at least with non-invasive uh, therapeutics. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, um, if I had the chance to, uh, to do this treatment at the risk of some kind of severe side effect, then I would probably not take that treatment and just say, uh, there are so many other options out there. And then also for cases like myself, um, there is basically no worst case environment because even if we say the hearing is nearly completely gone, then we have the option of a cochlear implant and uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Dr. Heidi Olze here at the University of Charité has also proven in num numerous studies that the CI can have a positive impact on tinnitus as well. So, you know, the worst case scenario is often not as bad as people actually think. 
And that in and of itself can uh, already help people a lot, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people say that also when they come at consultation with me, like it, it doesn't matter how much it costs or if I get other side effects, I will do it to just get rid of the tinnitus. But that's that phase where you're just catastrophizing your tinnitus and we, yeah. where you don't see any solution to yeah. it. Yeah. But there are luckily ways to yeah. find you see other solutions um, right. out there. And it's you need finding perspective again, but it's really understandable that some patients feel like that at the moment. Yeah. And it's hard to then trust the therapist to, that will say, well, let's first talk and through talking therapy, uh, try yeah. tries out some stuff. And that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the disadvantage. If there's a lot of experimental things out there, then people start let, believing less in the traditional techniques, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I mean, I I just have some some like nice cases, and you know, we we know that how anchored tinnitus is on this whole um, anxiety based response. And I have people in the community, for example, or people I've worked through, who had the one hundred percent firm belief that they would uh, never be able to habituate. So I've, I've I've had someone that I was working with from the US. Uh, his name was uh, Matthew. He 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 knows, and 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 I can uh, mention him in in, in public channels. And he was like, he had Googled that uh, uh, 95% of all people with tinnitus can habituate, but there is a percentage of 5% that don't manage to habituate. He didn't get specifically why they don't habituate. So if he would have gotten into that, then maybe that would have reminded him why there's a reason for why these people don't manage to habituate. It's not because they have the same preconditions as everyone else that they can habituate, but it's certain behavioral aspects of making it more difficult to habituate to their tinnitus. But in the end, three, four months later, working together through all the materials, doing the coaching program, being on the community, et cetera, Matthew has now become part of the community, basically without wanting to advertise it too much, but sharing that message and helping other people to say like, hey, um, even if you think you are within those 5% who don't manage, if you learn strategically how to place it and how to deal with it, then of course you are within those 95% because 95% is such a big amount of people that you basically say like, well, it's more the human capacity of the human brain to basically recondition yourself and to get used to something and to be okay with something rather than really the physiological inability to do that, right? So there are other aspects that lead to people not being able to habituate, not that they wouldn't be able to do it. What's your take? Yeah, no, completely agree. I think there, there is a way out for every patient. I'm sure of that. But some people just have a lot of experiences, bad experiences with previous therapists, with previous healthcare workers that yeah. they don't have. They just build a wall and they don't let you in anymore. And I think yeah. that's also sad. That's a, a pitfall of the, of the healthcare system at the moment mm. that a mm. lot of people have a lot of bad experiences before they come to people like you and I and then it's a very hard job to first get that trust again and to let them open up so yeah I think there's also a lot of work to do in healthcare yeah. workers in yeah. general yeah yeah 
Wow, I could tell you a story or two of uh, uh, negative relations and negative emotions that I that I deal with on a, a weekly basis because, of course, I'm very much in the social media channels everywhere and uh, I post a lot. I'm very active. And of course, then, you know, you, I absolutely understand people's frustration, right? They have sometimes been dealing with this for uh, decades. Some people really struggling with it and still, unfortunately, do. It's not because they wouldn't be able to habituate, but it's like because they are unfortunately stuck in the wrong ways of thinking and relating to this thing which is their tinnitus and then I can absolutely understand that people say like ah oh, what are you doing like we need a cure for this this is terrible and ah oh, what you have is not bad tinnitus am I in this such so much work basically I also experienced that everyone has the worst tinnitus I think that everyone every person that I've ever worked with has a worse worse tinnitus than all the other people I've worked with including myself and that's that's something that seems very very, very normal to to most people that that everyone sort of has the worst form of their tinnitus. It's understandable, right? Because suffering is individual. It's like it's so individual. Yeah, and it's it's not comparable, right? It's a personal experience. We cannot hear what you are hearing, uh, but indeed, it's most of the suffering that is important there. That if their frequency is super high or super low or loud, very loud or very soft, that all doesn't matter that much. It's it's the suffering that. That is the big deal. And yeah, if you're suffering a lot at, the, at that moment, it can feel like you're suffering way more than other people. Yeah, yeah. So I just um, wanted to ask you, um, what would uh, the typical kind of like path for a patient look like when you work with them in a clinical environment? Is that something that you can just share with us of, of what that would look like? And, and yeah, that would be, I think, interesting. Uh, we so uh, here in Antwerp, at Antwerp University Hospital, we have the Tintra Center uh, for Tinnitus uh, Research and Tinnitus Clinic. And so if a patient comes for the first time at a consultation, uh, we will look into all the different pathways that are possible. So of course, you need first your ENT check. That's sadly part of the job. We have to see that right. there is nothing medical other things going on sure. or that there is something we still can do about hearing loss sure um so but there are different pathways in our center uh, that you can follow it depends really like you said in the beginning of the podcast that individualization so during the intake we will try to find out the cause but not only the cause of the tinnitus, because as we know we don't always find exactly what caused it yeah but mainly the triggers and I think those two together will tell you how we have to deal with it. So by default, tinnitus retraining therapy is a big part of what we do. So for our patients, we do, for new patients that come into the clinic, a group session of mainly psychoeducation. We take a whole afternoon, Professor Anikilas and myself uh, do that every month about what is tinnitus, the basics on it, and how you can deal with it and how to get back control essentially because the tinnitus is steering the wheel while we want you to right. be steering the wheel so that yeah. is that basic psychoeducation that is relevant after that that you have that basic you can go further into tinnitus retraining therapy or for people with a more a more severe tinnitus, but not only a more severe tinnitus, a tinnitus that is more related to anxieties mm. and feelings of depressed, uh, depression, yeah. for example, we will go yeah. to more into a cognitive behavioral trajectory. Yeah. If their tinnitus is uh, triggered by neck and jaw complaints, they will be examined by our physiotherapist and can go into uh, physiotherapy, which is the case for one out of 
part of the patient, so that's quite a lot. Uh, hearing aids for the people uh, with hearing loss, also cochlear implants for our patients with a single-sided deafness or bilateral uh, deafness. And am I forgetting? There is, of course, also the experimental part. We, we are a research center, so we do also studies, uh, but that's not part of the general clinical uh, pathway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. I, would you would you be able to speak a little bit about the accessibility of the programs? Because I know, for example, for all the listeners in the US, um, they are asking me, and I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes a little bit reluctant to speak about it. And they say, like, but why does uh, TRT here in the US cost $5,000 for five sessions? And when I work with you, uh, I mean, of course, I'm not a certified TRT specialist. That's the thing. But uh, I guess in European healthcare systems, that is also much more accessible. So um, would you say that generally people would benefit much more from TRT or or what kind of type of a person would benefit more from a TRT approach uh, rather than people who might uh, benefit a little bit more from a CBT-based approach or... Um, with some some people who benefit more from a group coaching i also for example i also do group coaching which i love very dearly because everyone can share something that they really benefited from i regularly do group coachings i have a cohort nearly every month with about eight to ten people um and i and i love that work because it's not only me standing there talking about everything but it's also them relating to each other and learning like hey oh look at that he's responding in this way maybe i can do the same and that will help me and then you know they lift each other up together and then suddenly everyone's like ah oh, that was great fantastic let's do it next week ah you know, and then you suddenly turn it around and you basically feel like you have the toolkit in the back. And then the more tools you have in that backpack and you know how to handle your tinnitus, then basically you are the one who controlling your response. Ergo, tinnitus is not so dangerous anymore. Therefore, you don't need to go looking for it all the time. So sorry, the question was, what do you think? Sorry, uh, my, my monologues, man. That's probably why I do podcasts, right? Because I, I can talk all the time. Basically, podcasts, I don't even need, need guests. Like I can just talk all the time. Sorry for that. Sorry. So the question is, how can we find the most yes. individual and best solution for the patient or client, okay. patient, whatever? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's difficult to say. In my perspective, psychoeducation is crucial. In which therapy yeah. you go, you need to know what's going on in your brain. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. there is no point of getting into treatment if you don't yeah. know why the treatment would work for you. So yeah. that is, for me, a basic for everyone. Yeah. To be fair, we also don't do the full tinnitus retraining therapy like uh, it's developed by the Yesterbos, um, yeah. because that also includes noise generators and stuff like that. So I cannot talk that much on that. So we make more indeed the, the distinction between okay, psychoeducation part of TRT or going to CBT. Mm. It's a difficult one. We even, to yeah, be fair, is. we have internal discussions about it, like how mm. do we there is no cutoff. There is not a questionnaire mm. you can do to know if you have meet mm. DRT mm. or CBT. Mm. I think it comes really from an intake. I from an intake, mm. I will see uh, how how much the thoughts are very dysfunctional. If they're constantly saying, "Yeah, but I'm scared about the future. I'm never going to be able to live with it, this tinnitus. Right. I'm right. going right. to avoid every social situation." You see that there is a their behavior yeah. and their cognitions are very yeah. dysfunctional. Yeah, then yeah. CBT is 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 very attractive solution. Yeah. But not yeah. everybody needs such an extensive program. And that's why right. programs like TRT or psychoeducation can be already um right. fulfilling for right. most of 
for most patients. I, I wanted to um, ask your personal opinion because I get this question all the time as well. And my personal take on it, I'm just going to take say uh, sound therapy, um, masking tinters, et cetera, just because we touched on it right now, because it's an integral part of TRT as well. Um, I'm sort of a yes and no person. I'm a sort of like yes person if someone is very acute and has problems sleeping and just being anxious all the time and having this out outburst of cortisol and adrenaline and feeling overwhelmed all the time. Then of course it's nice to like just use that function. And we all know that, for example, when you slide down from the iPhone and you go into the soundscapes, then you can just put some rain sounds or something. And it's it's something that I did when my tinnitus was getting louder and the increase as well as the things that really consoled me, uh, listening to ASMR videos online, like soft spoken and consoling me and soundscapes and that stuff. But in the long run, I often feel that people start using these coping mechanisms and then they become detrimental. So when we use them in a very acute phase, maybe beneficial, but when we use them in the long run, basically just reminding us that we don't like our tinnitus, keeping the problem more alive than it should be. So what's your what's your take on this? What would you say? Yeah, it, it was very personal to me as well because I, I did TRT or psychoeducation a, whole, a long time and then I got into CBT. And then in yeah. CBT, we say, we don't want these rituals. We want you to be able to control your tinnitus without all these different strategies constantly yeah. going on. And then yeah. it gets very, okay, what do we believe now? And I think there is indeed yeah. no full yes or no. Uh, sadly, yeah. Yeah. no, that would yeah. be more great. But it's like you say, yeah. it can be very beneficial in that beginning stage where you're just yeah. so overwhelmed and you need to find an escape. It can be very reassuring and very relaxing. Yeah. But it gets uh, tricky when you get reliance on it and you feel mm. that you need it every moment of the day mm. or that you would not mm. be able to live without. That's the moment yeah. that you should have an alarm going off in yeah. your sound generators, maybe even like, yeah. oh, you're overusing and yeah. this is yeah. not the right way to go because then, yeah, yeah you don't, you cannot live without anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, examples like people only sleeping in front of the TV, um, and, and of course, like we know that the sleep patterns are incredibly disturbed when you sleep in front of the TV and you don't really get natural and restorative sleep. And now it's true that some people just simply need less sleep, but of course the quality of your sleep will be completely different if you sleep in front of the TV and the flickering light is waking you up again. And it's kind of like that kind of coping behavior that yes, you will find it working maybe for a while. And maybe you uh, found that coping mechanism in the time where tinnitus was most severe, but then you just basically stick with it. And then sort of it becomes a habit. And then it just becomes very difficult to sort of like let go of that habit again. And that just becomes something that basically uh, in the end lowers your quality of life because of course uh, more restful sleep only if it's four or five hours would be just going to bed and having those four or five hours in bed and not... Uh, sort of like fractured uh, on the couch in front of the TV. Yeah. yeah, I think maybe there is something that we should do before getting noise generators on. I'm really thinking out loud, but having a personality test go in before that, because you have certain personalities that take everything very black and white. Okay, this is what I should do. And they nice. follow it super strictly. It's, it's a very nice patient to have, but maybe these kind of patients are then uh, very likely to get into the overuse of this kind of technique so i think at intake you should get a feeling of like okay is this patient gonna just use it as help or yeah. is this only gonna increase the anxiety uh, that's mm. going on mm, 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 mm. yeah just uh, yeah, just yeah. thinking on the spot yeah yeah, yeah for sure and um, 
Uh, one, one, one additional question that I would like to ask you, I mean, this is a, a little bit of a tricky one, but um, there are a lot of um, miscom miscommunications, misconceptions around scientists. So I do this podcast as well in order to interview scientists and people who really study this empirically and to connect. And I know that you guys are all connected in the unity study, for example, and um, through the European um, Genesis Research in Initiatives, etc. And I think it's incredibly important to sort of like overcome these misconceptions that tinnitus is an inherent inflammation in the brain where you have been eating the wrong kind of foods and you've been doing this kind of thing wrong and that kind of thing. So if you change all of that and you go into dry fasting for two weeks and basically like you don't exist anymore, then only then tinnitus will, will, will be solved. And, you know, I think the effect that finds is that, well, you know, in some countries in the world, we have worse dietary habits than in other countries in the world. So there might be some truth in it that together with stress and somatic tinnitus, some bad diet decisions lead to the fact that people perceive tinnitus and when they leave them, then it's different. So I think in Europe, it's a little bit different, but could you speak to that? And uh, could you speak to that, uh, the, the, these major concerns and miscommunications and how they influence your work as well? Yeah, it's a difficult one because it's based on personal experiences. There's always this person that did this and got better with the tinnitus. Yeah. And that is sadly not a study that we can say, oh, that it's scientific, scientifically proven, but for that patient it works. So it, it is a difficult one to break through. Um, but there is nothing in the literature that proves that if you eat or drink differently, that your tinnitus will get better or that you will not develop tinnitus. Like you say, of course, a healthy lifestyle is for every kind of disease that you have better. It's always better to have a good mental and body health going on. Yep. Uh, but there is yep. nothing proven. And yep. Indeed, yep. Uh, all this misinformation on the internet again makes people believe like, oh, you say to me that I need seven sessions of CBT. Maybe I will try first that that kind of diet that I found out. And again, that that prolongs the trajectory of people getting mm. into yeah. treatments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, amen to that, because that's exactly the thing that happens. And you try one thing, then you try the next thing. And then, you know, the burden of tinnitus always becomes bigger because then on the Internet, you read it's helped someone else. And then, oh, my gosh, you're among the people it hasn't helped. And oh, my gosh, nothing can help you now anymore. And then, you know, you're not you're not only not on a better trajectory, you're on a much worse one, because now of all these things that all these other people said, like, oh, if you take more vitamin B12 or if you take more of this or more of that. And this is a disclaimer, like I'm just this is a paraphrasing of what people say online somehow. And then then, of course, the burden of that thing having worked for you is um, making your anxiety about the tinnitus much worse, making it much more difficult to get to a stage where you can say, okay, I'm learning how to manage this possibly and and maybe even becoming habituated, right? So ah, tricky it's one. A challenge for us as, as, as ther therapists, I think like in a way that people believe more what they read on the internet than what you're saying. And then I don't fight anymore because in the beginning when I saw tinnitus patients, I was really fighting and trying to convince them with scientific evidence but if the patient is at that moment so much yeah, yeah. in that headspace, yeah. Yeah. you can there is no yeah. point of dragging them into your CT. No. no. It's too no. they're not ready for it. Yeah. But it yeah. is challenging that they believe the internet more than you. Yeah, yeah. But you know what's what's I mean, this is not something to say at that point, haha, I told you so. But I, I've I've had I've had people 
who responded to me in this kind of way and said like, what you're doing is bullshit. I've tried this and it really worked. And, and, and then a few months later, they're like, yeah, well, it hasn't really worked. And do you maybe have time that we can talk about this? And I'm like, yes, of course I am. I'm not laughing in your face and saying, haha. Mm -hmm. of course you're very stressed out and very frustrated. And you thought that you had crack the nut somehow and then you realize it wasn't but I'm, I'm of course i'm more than happy to support if i can somehow it's not my place to say haha i told you so or something like that but um it's it's of course something like that's very emotional as well if you're trying to solve it and and then you think you cracked it and then you didn't yeah i think it's important to just also know that there is something like coincidence like tinnitus is fluctuating so if you just change something in your diet or what else and you find a fluctuation, that's not a proof, sadly, of the fact that there is a causal relationship between that. Yeah. So that, that makes it difficult also for tinnitus research because tinnitus is fluctuating. So are we really doing something or is this just a good moment of measuring the question? Yeah, yeah. One of the biggest ones that I had, I must say, in that respect is uh, the COVID vaccine and tinnitus. And I'm sure that there is somewhere maybe no empirical but something but maybe any other vaccine could also or maybe any other thing but if you're talking about um something that is present in 20 to 25 percent depending on what population and you vaccine the whole population then every fourth person or sometimes maybe people get it causally at pretty much exactly the same time so it's not really a wonder that that happens and it's not very um very well it's very difficult to establish that causal relationship right and and i think that's been a big thing for a long while and i got a i i must say i've got a lot of I, i've had a lot of shitstorm on the internet i took some videos down because i i i i mean i'm not a I'm, I'm not a professional i'm not a medic medical person but i read studies from um from um kevin frank and 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 um in in the causal relationship between sudden hearing loss, uh, tinnitus, etc., and the COVID-19 vaccine. And there was no evidence found anywhere that while vaccining pretty much 90% of the American population, that there was with one or two um, uh, 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 mRNA vaccines that uh, any kind of cause relationship could be established between sudden hearing loss, hearing loss, uh, and occurrence of tinnitus. Uh, so... Yeah, but I took it down because I was like, okay, I'm not leaving this. I'm not uh, going to become a center of um, uh, attack from certain people who say um, people shouldn't take the vaccine because it's autotoxic and whatnot. And, and I think um, these kind of people have to think about the, the, the potential destruction they're causing. If you tell someone uh, in their 60s or 70s not to take a vaccine that could against a disease that could potentially kill them so because of tinnitus. I'm fully back you up there. I fully, fully agree with all you said there. We we don't know everything yet about the vaccines. Therefore, it's really too recent. Yep. The research is not done well enough yet. There yep. might be something there that we will find out, but there is definitely more chance that there is in most people a coincidental factor going on. And um, that you can just, yeah, if, if you find out your tinnitus at that moment after a few days before you took the vaccine, you will relate it to it. Um, there, there might be some, of course, you you inject something bad into you because that's how vaccines work. You might get sick. A lot of people experience this when they get sick. So it, it, I fully yeah. back you up there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's yeah, not yeah, 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 I, I, I agree. And, that, and that's kind of like the difficulty. 
But um, yeah, um, I wanted to uh, say again a big, 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 big thank you, uh, Laura, for coming onto the podcast today. I also wanted to um, to segue a little bit into maybe some fi final comments, remarks, kind of things that we still want to talk about. And I'm sure, because I mean, we are uh, already talking for a long while today, so I'm, I'm very amazed. But I'm sure that we will see you as many other people on this podcast for a second time. I know that you are very, very busy, so I want to already say thank you for um taking uh, taking all that time out of your busy schedule uh, on a friday just before the weekend um and i know that you're coming to berlin uh in in a in a bit of time that that's uh, that's nice but um yeah maybe maybe something else like a, a story that you want to share or anything in particular that you would like to say to the people with tinnitus who are listening to this podcast or anything that you would say is 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 relevant to you at heart uh, a, a little message that you would extend maybe even only where people can reach you if they want to reach out or um for people in belgium who are looking for treatment because i'm sure that some people from belgium will be will be listening to this as well so yeah if you if you have anything that you still want to share please go ahead I, I think the main message is don't stop looking and there is something out of there for you and you just have to find the right person to help you uh, but I think it's a helpful message that is that I really believe in um, and that indeed it is a personal thing so don't compare yourself with your neighbor uh, sadly Nice. The human body is not the same, so we have to take a different approach to that. Yeah. Um, and I, I would love to come another time because indeed we we touched on some topics that were like a cochlear implantation and stuff like that. So I think we can we could go on for uh, for hours. So definitely happy to to come back. And people can always uh, find me like you also on a lot of uh, social media challenge. You just have to get into the challenge of writing my name right, and then you you will find me. I mean, that won't be such a big problem because, of course, uh, in the description to this episode, uh, we will have your name so uh, people can can look that up if they want to uh, contact you and, and, and get, get into contact with you and have questions for you or uh, if they are from Belgium, uh, really look for uh, what you guys are doing. Um, yeah, uh, I want to uh, thank you so much for this. I think it, one of the biggest points that I'm taking from this conversation is that we are really going a path towards uh, uh, individually, um, what, whatever you want to say, patient, client, or, or tinnitus sufferer-centered care. Um, really incredibly important also that I take the message of what you said that everyone's tinnitus and this is so important to emphasize when we talk about all these different things that work for one person but definitely not for another person that we look at okay why oh not always establish a why but what is your tinnitus trigger why are you experiencing tinnitus and in what moments and in what times of day or periods in your life is your tinnitus most bothersome and how can we best um establish um a path for you to get better with it and maybe that is sound therapy maybe it's not sound therapy maybe it is cbt maybe it is uh, a, a certain other programs that are available and accessible and um, I think there's a lot happening in the space. So um, I would like to say thank you again for all the work that you're doing. So yeah, thank you. A big thank you from all the people listening to this podcast for everyone. Uh, a big thank you, Lauren. With a lot of pleasure. Okay, great. Fantastic. Then... Um, yeah, then I would like to uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for becoming uh, coming onto the podcast today. And uh, 
yeah again yeah, for any tips you might well. might have for might need for berlin um you know where to find me as well yes that's great no thank you it was a really nice conversation thank you laura see you in the next uh, in the next podcast episode here at some point <laughs> great bye bye Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode on the Outring Tinnitus podcast. As usual, I warmly invite you into our online Tinnitus membership community. The latest features of the community include our accountability meetings and a buddy system where people who are more advanced in their habituation process um, can work together with you and show you around in the community and how to best make use of all the tools and tips and strategies and the courses that we have as well as frequent accountability meetings where we hold you accountable to your individual progress with habituating to your tinnitus. So we define your goals and hold you accountable whether and how you can achieve the goals and whether you did manage to achieve or not manage to achieve those goals in the week afterwards. So if you're interested in that and really kicking off your individual process of habituating to your tinnitus and getting better with your tinnitus in a long-lasting way um, and doing that together with amazing other people, uh, just sharing, chatting, learning, making some new friends uh, over tinnitus. I think it's quite a nice thing and I'm really, really, really humbled and glad that I managed to build this community. And if you want to be part of it, head over to www.mytennis.club and make sure you use the two weeks free trial to check it out. And we hope and look forward to see you in there. See you in the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to the Outring Tinnitus podcast. I am looking forward to also welcome you on my website at outringtinnitus.com or if you have any questions, please mail to frida at outringtinnitus.com. See you next time.